Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hi, everybody. I, that's like, what kind of an opening is that? It sounds like I'm. It sounds like I'm talking to a cat. But really, what it is is I'm talking to you. This is Ed Krasnick. You're listening to Mental Health Comedy, the Mental Health Comedy podcast, with me and my partner Jennifer Polari, who will be along in a minute. Jennifer is licensed, so you're in good hands. This is the show where we have comedians, we have all kinds of people from the world of entertainment who come in and we talk about mental health and we actually learn and practice mental health skills because mental health, as we know, is a practice. It's a huge topic, but it really is a practice. And you will know when the world has changed when there are people practicing mental health skills. The good news is that we have a chance to practice every second, every day. I could take a breath right now and that would be practicing. So there are all kinds of simple skills that we learn and Jennifer has a million of them, including skills that will help us rewire our brain and even learn about how our brain works. Thousands of years of evolution, they're finding that there might be some information about us contained in the brain. So it's now, it's now time to explore that area with all of our advances in life. I want to talk about a couple things on today's show. Well, first of all, our guest is an old friend, a dear friend, and he is a terrific actor, a terrific host. He's done just about everything there is to do in, in the entertainment business, in comedy, in, in acting, on TV. But he also has a really interesting background in special education, in mental health, in counseling, in teaching. And we're going to talk to him about that. And that's David Earl Waterman. David Earl Waterman joins us in just a few minutes on the show today. You know, World Mental Health Day happened a couple days ago. Of course, with my uh, keen abilities, I didn't even realize it was World Mental Health Day. I was still living as if it was uh, World Mental Illness Day. But no, it was World Mental Health Day. And the greeting card companies are trying to catch up. Uh, they're trying to catch up with how popular mental health is as a topic now, but they're not quite there yet. This is a few of the greeting cards that I've heard that were sort of surrounding Mental Health Day. There's an Easter card I saw. It's a picture of a cute bunny with eggs, and you open it up and it says, Resurrect your happiness. Happy Easter. Now, it's not quite what you would want in a, in a Mental Health Day card. Today is yesterday's tomorrow. You got this. It's too confusing. You're not alone. I too want to kill everyone. That's not a greeting card. That's not something that will make you, that will inspire you to mental health, right? There's a picture of a person with a colander on their head on the front of the card, and then it says, you open it up, it says, happy birthday to someone who's mentally drained. And my last one, a favorite one, happy anniversary to a couple who are on the same medication. And happy World Mental Health Day to everybody. I want to just quickly uh, shout out to people emotionally, wherever you're at. If you think stress is a four-letter word, welcome. If you strike fear into the heart of chamomile tea, welcome. If you feel that the Supreme Court would do well to listen to Diana Ross and the Supremes and take a long break, welcome. There's always a place for you right here on the Mental Health Comedy Hour. I want to bring in Jennifer Kalari and Jennifer... We're going to talk to America, the country, like it's a person. 
I think that one of the things that seems to be happening is we're trying to stop the president from doing what he's doing as opposed to build the country the way that we want the country to be. The other thing that we're doing is we have a divided country. We have a lot of reactivity on both sides, no matter what side you're on, no matter what you think. And we're reacting to the other people as if they're wrong and as if they're not people. So I was listening to the 10% Happier today, which is a great podcast with Dan Harris and also a great app, if you haven't heard about it. It's terrific. And there was a teacher on there who was talking about compassion is not about what's going on with other people. It's actually what's going on with you. It starts with you. And when you feel yourself contracting, that's when you have to go in and actually look at your own reaction as opposed to trying to change the other people. Can you speak to that? And how do you respond to something like that? Uh, You know the statement, follow the money? It's follow the pain. Wherever you are feeling pain, that's an indicator. Negative emotions are indicators, and they're indicators that you're off from the best version of yourself. So wherever there's pain, wherever there's emotional pain, wherever there are triggers, that really has to do with with us. It has to do with our past wounds and our issues and where we don't feel listened to or heard. So that's a really important piece of knowledge and awareness for sure. You know, the, the, the reactivity is the thing that you point back to. So for example, if you're watching something on the news, which you would be upset today with what's going on in the country, with all the stress in the world, you'll immediately think, I can't believe these people are saying this. You know, we need to do something different. Well, look at your own feeling. That's what, they're, that's what you're saying. Mm-hmm. You're saying, go back to yourself and ask yourself, what's going on with me that I'm reacting this way? And, and then what can I do to either calm myself or make a different choice about how I'm relating to my feelings other than just blaming other people? Exactly. And I'd like to change it from what should I do to who should I be, right? Just think about that for a second. If, if Literally, if we all tried to be the best version of ourselves during this and really recognize this is a huge thing going on in this country, but it's also being mimicked all over the world. It's just a little louder here. These are all things that we need to be thinking about. So who do we need to be? Right? That's a really important question. It's a state of being, not to get too woo-woo or too, too out there, but it's how you are that matters, not as much what you do, because it all comes from how you are. Exactly. If you're jumping up and down and screaming at the television and yelling at your family and ruining every dinner by something about whatever side you're on, you're adding that negative energy. You're adding to it. You're, you're literally pouring energy into it. And if each person actually did try to work on being the best version of themselves, we would literally change the world. I'm not even joking. I don't even mean to sound woo-woo about that. That's the truth. And that takes doing different, you know, very okay. simple things because mm-hmm. it's so, it seems so automatic. And that's the issue is it is automatic and we're not conscious and making right. choices because we're not being aware at the time. Exactly. We're just going right into the emotion. Exactly. So today, my daughter, Shana, who is really smart, 15-year-old, uh, really sensitive, kind of a, a roomy type figure, even at 15, very deep, very smart, very funny. She said, Dad, why don't you do like a skill of the week? And so today, we'll try it. The skill of the week 
is actually brought to you by a new sponsor that we have, and the sponsor is Seven Cups. Seven Cups is an online therapy service that has affordable and free rates. They also have a great community of trained volunteers who are there to help you free of charge. Personally, I like Seven Cups because I drink seven cups of coffee a day, which is why I need therapy in the first place. And secondly, I'm a big advocate of affordable mental health care. Believing that mental health is not a privilege, it's a right. It's a right of a healthy, progressive country, and that's what we're building now. So, skill of the week. So, if we had one skill, Jennifer, to talk about, mm-hmm. what would it be to deal with uh, some of these issues that we're okay. that we're discussing now about this reactivity? All right, I think I have a good one for everyone. And and remember, you you're, you don't just use this around like big issues that are happening in the country. You can use this in your own life when you're having an argument with your spouse or your kids. So, this is actually a wonderful strategy. First thing to remember is everyone thinks they're the good guy in the story. They just do. That's how the brain works. That's how the subconscious works. But this technique, and it's interesting because it's called the eagle technique, which is kind of interesting, American eagle. So basically what you do is you literally move yourself around in space. So you pick, let's say, one chair. You sit in that chair and you vocalize out loud all the things that you are ticked off about, the stuff that's ridiculous and how crazy you think the other side is being, or if you're in an argument with your wife, it's, oh, she does this to me, and just let it all out. You're doing this alone, by the way. So you have to do this somewhere where you don't look crazy. Then you move to another piece of furniture, so nearby. And from that piece of furniture, you're actually speaking out loud as if you're in the shoes of the other side. So if it's a person, you're speaking from your wife's point of view or your daughter's point of view. And if it's, you're all, you know, it's this giant political issue, then you speak from the view of the other side. And start saying out loud what you think they're experiencing and feeling and afraid of and mad about and all of that. And then this part, you have to be very careful. Now you become, you get to another piece of furniture and you you can stand up. So just stand up taller than you did. Maybe you were sitting down on the other furniture and now you're standing. If you're going to stand on some furniture, be careful. <laughs> I, I recommend just standing up. And from here, you're taking the position of the eagle. This is a, a an NLP or neuro linguistic programming technique. And basically what you're going to do here is you're going to speak about the problem from a higher vantage point where you're seeing everything from above what's happening. And as you speak out loud, you're really pulling what you think are similarities, you know, that both sides are actually afraid. Both sides want the country to be in better shape. You know, a lot of the things that people are upset about are the same things. They're just on such a different, they're just polarized but there really are places in the middle. And if it's, you know, you're in an argument with your spouse or your daughter, then you're able to sort of just stand above it. And this really activates your, your, your executive functioning, the, the frontal lobe in your brain, that the part of the brain that's responsible for taking perspective and panning back and seeing the big picture. And as you do this, and it, it's much better to move around. I know it sounds a little crazy, but if you just try to do it in your chair, it'll get all muddled in your head. Physically move. The, the midbrain likes, it likes you to change locations because then it actually thinks you've changed the problem. So as you move through this exercise, watch what happens. You will notice, you will, you will activate that part of your brain that can see the big picture. You'll notice your blood pressure coming down. You'll calm down. You'll find ways to connect with the other side of the argument in ways that you never would have been able to if you never got out of that chair. Well, I love this. And then, and what I like about it, I love the physicalization of a different perspective. I also love the, the term, the big picture, 
Because mm-hmm. if you're looking from above, if you're going from above, you're looking at the big picture, you're looking at the overview. Even if you stood from one part of the room and then you moved to another part of the just room moved. and then you moved to a different part mm-hmm. of the room, even if you just moved, yep. uh, that would be enough. So you're really doing role reversal mm-hmm. with the people, with the issues that you're yep. upset about. And, you know, they always say that life is not a dress rehearsal. It actually is a dress rehearsal. You're <laughs> rehearsing your emotions, how you deal with your emotions and your thoughts. You're rehearsing it. Yeah. And you always have a chance to practice that. Even if you sit in one chair, whatever you do, just that you have the intention of looking at things from another perspective and making choices about it. Absolutely. So I love that. Let's go call it the ego, call it the big picture. I love it. I love it. And you're exercising that higher order thinking. And by the way, if you have kids, this is great with kids. You can use chalk, right? If you're outside on the driveway. You can have them stand at a hula hoop. They can stand on different pieces of furniture and you can hold their hand, be safe about it. Kids love this. This is a great way to help your kids and your teens exercise that higher order thinking. And then uh, shut your TV off for a little while. Yeah. Don't have the news. You know, there's a lot of houses where the news is like playing oh in the background. Yes. Take a break. Shut it down. Yeah. Shut it down. Yeah. Because you're not getting the news. If you think, if you're trying to find out what's really going on, you're not getting the news whatever network is broadcasting it, they're broadcasting it through their lens. It's not the news and it's addictive. You Once you start watching, you want to keep watching more. So this is not helping you with facts. Uh, you can get those from other places. Shut it down. Yeah. Shut it down. And you know what, Ed, if, if there's big news to be, you're going to hear it. Somebody's going to call you. Somebody's going to text you. You're going to find out. I want to touch quickly on something you said, which is the addictive quality. That's a really big part of this. No matter what side you're on, People are constantly scrolling through the news, through the news feed to see, oh, what now, right? Ooh, boring, boring, heard it, heard it. Ooh, that's new. And there, you get a blast of dopamine. You, it's a, it, this, is, this is literally an addiction. You need to take a break. And there is such a thing as you know, digital anxiety and digital depression. Put the devices down, turn the news off. It, you know, If you think about the news, if, if we literally thought about news that was coming into our brain all the time, it would literally be good news, good news, good news, like tons of good news and a little blips of bad news. Like worldwide, think about as you move through your day, most people are nice to each other, right? Nobody's fighting, nobody's screaming. You walk out into the world, luckily for us and where we are, most of the time, there's really good stuff happening all around you, but you wouldn't know that from watching the news. You actually have to mix it up a little bit. So little bit of news, little bit of inspiration. Okay, Mm -hmm. bring in something that's inspirational to you. I don't care if it's a sports moment, if it's a moment from your life, if it's pictures, if it's nature, whatever it is, bring that in consciously and then you'll be you'll be orienting yourself so that you can get a little bit more balance. But if you if you zone out to the news or you watch a few hours of whatever you watch uh, that's new, that's, you know, sort of news content. It, it's like eating a plate of fudge. You're eating it. You're trying to figure out what's going on and you end up feeling like crap. This is not promoting health in the country and it's not, it's not getting you toward a better country or a better family or a better, you know, or a higher quality of life. And sometimes you are going to zone out. But just remember before the day is out, put something good in the tank. Put a piece of music, whatever it is. Skill of the week, call it the eagle, whatever it is. Look at things from different different perspectives. I'm a person who looks at life from no sides now. I'm not both sides now, but I'm no sides now. So I'm trying to change that, trying to shift it. 
speaking of shifting, let's get to our guest right now. I've known him for a lot of years, and I've seen him do amazing characters, amazing sketches, hosting a show, which we'll go back to. But he has a really interesting life, a really interesting background that sort of combines entertainment and mental health and special education. And I want to talk about all of it. And I want to welcome to the show, David Earl Waterman. Dave, first of all, I'm so, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad I'm here as well. I, I, I'm so appreciative and honored to, to being here and just hearing the conversation between Jennifer and yourself prior to this. It has been such a long time that outside of intimate and family friend relationships that I've been a party to healthy conversation, relevant conversation, kind of made me sort of sad in a way, like I need more of this. I think we, a lot of us do. It's, it's just good stuff. Yeah, I, I find that it's very difficult to, uh, I find leaning towards isolation a lot more and that it seems like a big effort to actually connect with people. Mm-hmm. And, and there's nothing that you need more. And it's just the kind of thing that we were talking about. It's like you have to consciously put something good in mm-hmm. and it feels like an extra effort, but it's actually really the best thing for you. And once you get into it, it's like that feeling years ago, you know, when we'd go out Mm-hmm. Years ago, reminding people, he's like, I don't want to go out. I'm not going to drive over there. And then once you get there, you feel much better. Yeah. You feel much more alive. And you're doing it from a place of being alive than surviving. I think there's a lot of tendency to survive yeah. and not as, much, not as much put into being alive. And if I knew the Stephen Sondheim song better, I would sing it right now. <laughs> I want to go back because I know a little bit about your background, and I think it's interesting, especially given what's happened in the country with race. Mm-hmm. You grew up in a mixed-race family. You grew up in a in a black-and-white Brady Bunch. That's right. My mom and dad had an amicable divorce. They were hippies, and it was sort of a you know a reorganization process rather than a divorce. It was a you know kind of pitched to us, my uh, biological uh, younger sister Michelle, and my biological older brother, Danny, that uh, mom and dad were going to make life better by creating two different homes. And uh, it was a a pretty easy, easy divorce, um, mostly supported by grandparents uh, from a very progressive, liberal, upstate New York family. And, you know, it it did have its tears and and the emotional stuff that go with divorce. But by and large, it was in the beginning a, a, a pretty seamless thing. And we were so young, we didn't have much else to compare life to because... We were all kind of just coming into our consciousness as kids. And then Big Billy Herndon, the owner-operator of Billy's Soul Shack, met and married my mother. (laughs) Insert funky 70s music. And, And all hell broke loose with my normally easygoing, laid back sets of grandparents uh, you know, a black man and three of his biological children have married a white woman with three of her biological children. And then the world began for me and my siblings as well. Now that we're all older and we talk about it in, in much more humorous ways. I mean, racism and, you know, overt sort of kinds of um, political stuff and, and privilege. Oh, my God, was privilege so apparent and odd, I remember my stepbrother, Bill, who uh, kind of launched my acting career for me, uh, Bill Jr., he and I were searching for apartments in New York, and he informed me that I was the one who had to go and speak with the landlord, a pretty naive guy. You know, frankly, I just was kind of, I've just always been sort of 
you know, just kind of going through life easy. I'm privileged in that way. And I, I didn't really get it. Um, but when I said, why aren't you going with me? And, and it, I, I had to be reminded by my then like 19, 20 year old brother, because you're white. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. And so it, it, it was just so many of those kinds of stories coupled with some amazing breakthroughs. My racist Archie Bunker grandfather going through a process of meeting my stepfather and calling him the N-word to his face and various other derogatory terms and sarcastic remarks to over the course of about seven or eight years following the birth of my half-sister Barbara, who we lovingly call our mixed peanut. So here we go. My stepfather began by, by dropping off his white family to visit their white family on holidays. Over the course of seven or eight years, breaking down fears and barriers and, and, and preconceived systematic racism type things to carving the Thanksgiving Day turkey. It, it, and again, what was you know, essentially a version of Archie Bunker's house. So I got to watch you know, my, my frightened grandparents, confused um, you know, old school grandparents grow comfortable with black people. And it was amazing. And it's just not the kind of thing that I think a lot of people get to see you know, it's something I, I cherish. And it, it's, it's, I think, helped me to, to, you know, at least have an open mind and, and try to try to get along with people. Although, as you were talking about earlier, it's so hard. I'm, I'm addicted to the news. I'm suffering very much the same way that you're talking about. It's like everything that was great about my life and my upbringing in these last three and a half, four years has kind of become irrelevant. And I'm a sad nervous person most of the time, having lived this, like you said, Ed, I was an actor. I've traveled the world as a counselor. Um, I, I do good works and I've met wonderful, lovely people, many of whom are mutual friends of ours. And now I find myself, frankly, it doesn't matter any of that stuff. It's really, really freaky to me because it's like, it's irrelevant almost. I, I, I see no sort of like, I am so worried about what's going to happen <laughs> in the next few months. Weird. Yeah. Jennifer, you can, you can speak to this. I mean, this is what a lot of people are going through mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure you're seeing it in, in your work. Oh yeah. What do you say to somebody who just says, look, I, I used to be this person and now I'm this person. What do I do? Sure. I'm, listen, I hear that all the time. People are literally having like an existential crisis. So I hear it all the time and I really see it in the youth. I, you know, I work with a lot of you know, teenagers and young adults, and they're, they're literally like, what's the point? Like, what, what am I doing? What, you know, so it's very hard. So there's a couple of things to think about. And again, you've got to take that eagle perspective. There's no other way. If you, if you're down in the muck, right. And just, and just sort of languishing there, which we all do from time to time, it can get very heavy, very hopeless. And it, it, it literally affects your psychoneurobiology, the, the chemicals in your body. Because the midbrain doesn't know you're watching the news. It thinks it's something that's happening to you. That, that part of your brain that's responsible for survival puts you in that survival program all the time. So the only way to get out of that, the only way is to rise up. And you can do that basically in a couple of ways. One is by saying, look, things have to come apart in order to get fixed. They do. There was a lot wrong or this wouldn't happen. We would not be in this mess no matter what side of the, the fence you're on. We all got ourselves here. Right. And I've said this before that we're kind of this chronically adolescent culture where it, it just it wasn't going in the right direction no matter what. Right. So really kind of looking, what can I own? 
where can I be the best version of myself? If an egg is broken from an outside force, life ends. If an egg is broken uh, by an inside force, life begins, right? So if we can kind of look at some stuff has to be broken here. Tons of stuff isn't working and it's got to be uncomfortable and it's got to be messy. And then we rise up together and figure out what do we want the, you know, things to look like? Each one of us being the best version of ourselves that we can. And that can start with a difficult conversation with a family member. You know, there's lots of families where people are in different sides of the political spectrum and it's ruining families. Their family's not talking to each other. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But if we, the other thing that's really hard is people don't like the truth. We all talk about the truth. Nobody likes the truth if it doesn't agree with them, right? People like to hear what they think is the truth. So really coming together and being prepared to have your worldview <laughs> shaken a little bit and to find where you have things in common. That is the answer. And and listen, it sounds difficult. And in some ways it sounds over, you know, super simplified, but that's the truth. And it can start in your own family. What's happening in America is just a gigantic version of what can happen in people's homes. A pack of cigarettes a week is really not the first best option to deal with this. <laughs> it's not. It's not the best. It's an option, but it's not. The, but it's not. Then there'll be some sponsors who will like that, and of course we'll like that. No, we won't. We won't. No, we won't. We won't. We we don't want to do it. I'm going to go and watch The Insider now. Here's the thing that you said. You said that you know I feel this way. I feel sad, and I'm not connecting with people and having conversations about right. it. Right, right. We don't see that the answers are, you know, I don't see that the answers are inside of me just coming as I am. You know, I grew up in a neighborhood, uh, you know, near Boston. It was like Goodwill hunting territory, three-decker houses and lower middle class uh, family. You come as you are and you are always around people. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a different world now. You don't walk out your door and, you know, you're not around people or you can't see their face because of masks and things like that. But you can still show up somehow with, hey, even if it's a text, here's what's going on with me. Just checking in with you. How are you doing? And I like what Jennifer said, too, that, you know, we're all accountable for where we are today as a society and as a nation of people. Even though this is kind of a a group experience that we're having, we all have to individually kind of take responsibility to sort of, you know, get ourselves to wherever this lifeboat is and then regroup and, 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 and get going. That, that really made a lot of sense to me, what Jennifer just said along those mm-hmm. lines as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Jennifer, Jennifer makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, and that's <laughs> right. what it's all, it's all about. I'm not responsible for making sense because <laughs> this is really it. We, some, somewhere along the line, we got off track with realizing that we make the country. Mm-hmm. The country doesn't make us. Mm-hmm. The way that that happened is that people got together in their communities and they do something together. Mm-hmm. You do it by yourself first, and then you reach out and connect with someone else. There's always somebody to connect with, whether it's online, in person, I don't care. If you're focused on what the government is doing, you're already lost because yeah. it's not about what the government's doing. We've seen that system and it doesn't work. We, I don't know how many times we need to get the message that it doesn't work. It doesn't work for you. You connect with each other and build your country and the leaders will follow you. And so much can be done. And it's a simple thing. It starts with, hey, here's where I'm at. Hey, I noticed that I'm really feeling down because I'm watching all this news. I'm going to shut it off and I'm going to put something in that feels good. What feels good to me? These are simple things. But your background is so interesting 
uh, from growing up in the family that you did. Now, when you see what's going on with race now, from your perspective, what do you feel? What do you think? And how do you approach that? From our family perspective, um, we we held ourselves accountable. And oftentimes around the dinner table, we would speak to race relations and, and the cultural identities that we carried. And then sort of like the real time experiences we were having that either sort of validated stereotypes. Very often as a family, you know, comprised of Caucasians and African-Americans, whites, blacks, however you want to say it, my family and step family combined, we held ourselves accountable and we talked about stereotypes and we talked about the many ways that stereotypes are, are validated a lot of the times. And, and we never really were able to, I think, crack the code around systematic racism. It was at the time in the 70s, circumstantial. Like when my grandfather would make a racist comment, my stepfather sometimes would say, well, he's actually making sense. I have a lot of friends that behave that way within the African-American community and vice versa with white people, you know, certain ways that we conduct ourselves or privileges that, that we entitle ourselves to consciously, subconsciously, expectations, fears, all of this stuff. But we really hadn't learned uh, an, about sort of the government and sort of orchestrated red redlining, I think it's called, and some of the, the green book or something like that. The, the very, very clear instances of racism that, that do exist. I was never really aware of that until, frankly, recently, within the last 10 or 15 years. And those things weren't talked about. So I think at the end of the day, the accountability does fall on validating Black America and saying there's been a, like a biblical level of inhumane, systematic slights to our African-American citizens. And Frankly, from my perspective, it would be an honor and should be an honor to every single white person that has the ability to say, you know what, this really did happen and I didn't intend for it to happen. I wish it didn't happen, but I have the tools to help try and, and steer it in the right direction. And the great thing I can say about the United States of America is we are still the country that can address this. In my world travel as a, as a public speaker, an international public speaker, racism. Racism against black people is a global problem. It's a very, it's a humanitarian problem. It's just not an, a, an American problem. But here in America, I think we can really begin to start to take even bigger steps into looking at ourselves. Just like Jennifer said earlier, it's an inside job. You know, we're we're sort of inside this egg, so to speak. If I'm understanding that 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 rationale to some degree, but it's it's like we have the potential to really look at how human beings look at each other. I sincerely believe that we have a chance in this country to address what truly is a global situation, a, a global experience, and that is profound systematic racism against people of color, mostly black people. In, in the United States, having, having lived in a mixed-race family and mixed-race communities and having seen how cohabitation and, and cooperation can and do exist, I think only in, in America. And that's why I, I hope so strongly that the progressive liberal side will continue to have at least some power is that only I think in America can we really experiment with holding ourselves accountable. And when I say that, it's like, it's not a shameful thing to be a white person and feel guilt 
I think it's a, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a progressive and powerful thing to say, yeah, shit happens. People get advantages and other people have disadvantages. And when you can recognize them and try to even the score, that's like wonderful. I'm a person of, of privilege for sure. I'm also Jewish mm -hmm. and I've experienced a lot of anti-Semitism when I was growing up in Boston, but I can't relate to it to that level. I mean, we've had some violence against us for being Jewish. So I just think that it's the time to, to talk about it and to actually make an effort to, to mm -hmm. reach across and to just say, look, this happened. It's not enough to say, look, uh, everybody owns slaves and that's just how it was then. That's not, that's not an answer <laughs> for a country. It's actually wrong. It's wrong and it needs to be, it needs to be ex expressed and dealt with. It's a horrible, horrible thing. It's Columbus Day today. Go back and look at, you know, Columbus was a human being, but he was also an abuser and he was also a rapist and he was also a lot of other things. It's still Columbus Day, but this is wrong. You have to come out and call it out. What you're saying is that there are things that can be done, but first you have to be accountable. Even though you may not have done anything specifically, not doing something is the accountability, not speaking up or not bringing up these conversations, right? Yeah, I, I, I think that there's some genuine hope in trying to embrace the amends process. And just like, I think you said it just a moment ago, I can't ever be in your shoes or feel what you're feeling, but I can give you everything I have to try and, and make it a better world for the next person. And it's like the amends process. It's like, I totally hold myself accountable for taking advantage of white privilege. And a lot of the time I knew it. And the more I learned about white privilege, the more interesting it, it got to me and the more instances of, of examples of how I subconsciously took advantage of it in so many ways. And then, you know, realizing that and, and maybe moving into a, a broader spectrum as, as, as human beings and celebrating it. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm not sorry, but I am. I am engaged and I am aware of what's happened. I have no need to apologize for what happened, but I do have a responsibility to, to, to say black lives matter, you know, because that's where we are. That's truly where we are today. And, and I've had a much easier go of it than my stepbrothers and, and sisters have had of it based on that. That's a fact. My, my stepbrother and I wrote a play called Two Picnics, a picnic happening at my stepfather's house and a picnic happening at my grandfather's house. And it, it, it explores all these issues and it makes fun of stereotypes. And, you know, it's just, I, I wish I could bottle it and share it with people. But people are resistant and people are afraid and people are defensive. And, and people in America, a lot of them are like, hey, just get over it. You know, like the Jews assimilated, the Chinese assimilated. Why don't you assimilate? And it's a completely different thing for black people. It's completely different. It's like organized suppression. They've had a much harder road to hoe, for sure. This is not a comparison by any stretch of the imagination, but we're seeing what organized suppression looks like. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. it is ugly. Ooh, mm -hmm. is it ugly. It is mm -hmm. not a pretty thing. Comes out of fear, but it is, a, it is such a difficult thing. And it's like somebody lying to you, uh, to your face, and saying something else, but you actually see that they're lying and they're lying in the way that they're behaving. They're actually doing something that's, that's deceitful. It, this is really a good time to deal with all of these things. But like Jennifer said, it starts with each person. It starts with the feelings and thoughts that you have within your own self. 
And if you start there, little things like looking at things like different perspective, whether it's this technique, the skill, the, the big picture, the eagle, or whether it's just taking a breath and turning off the lies, you know, you just, you turn off the news for a little bit and you put something inspirational in. Before we let you go, I wanted to touch on the work that you've been doing at Path. Is it Pathpoint? It is Pathpoint, and it's also Diverse Journeys are the two names of the organizations. What my wife and I now do is that we are family teachers, and we have fostered three individuals with disabilities, and we are creating a home life space for these individuals to thrive and create sort of natural supports within the community so that not only will they be able to live in society and, and mainstream society, but our, our task is, is to get folks to coffee shops, to get folks to local organizations and involved politically, and, and really kind of completely immerse these individuals into a life that is not only just, hey, it's dinner time and let's have movie night. Pathpoint is a supported uh, work program where uh, counselors like myself will engage with individuals that are seeking supportive work opportunities in, in and around their community. So for example, if I have an individual that's suffering from a, a mental illness or a developmental disability of some kind, um, but they do have uh, the means to secure a competitive job in data processing, custodial work, transportation, sort of uh, sales, I and the individual will go through the entire process from application to employment together. And I will fade away over the course of three months to three years uh, up until that individual becomes completely self-sustaining using the skills that they have at their hand and the skills that we can teach them at at PathPoint and, and establishing natural supports. For example, you know, the assistant manager may have a special interest in my client and uh, they form a bond outside of my professional involvement. And that bond then carries on as I fade away slowly. So it's it's kind of like, let's get people involved. Let's keep get people busy and let's and let's seek out opportunities. And that's 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 PathPoint. And there are many organizations wow. like that. Wow. That's amazing. Do you see a growing network? You've done this for many years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you see that there's a bigger acceptance from the community at large in oh, terms yeah. of people with mental health issues or, or developmentally developmental disabilities? It, it's a joy. And I think it speaks to this part of humanity that doesn't get talked about or, or massaged enough, which is like, we feel good when we make amends. We feel good when we recognize there's a need and we can fulfill that need and we can share it. And we don't necessarily need accolades. I mean, I have a young man uh, who works at Vaughn's up in Glendale. And this individual, if you see him, you immediately recognize that there, there's something different about him. But the joy and the love that this individual has brought to this Vons in Glendale has, has changed the dynamic of even the co-workers. There's, there's, you know, it, it, and that's been said to us directly. It's like, we're so glad that he is here. And because people see in themselves these other things about themselves through his experience, if that makes any sense. It's great to hear this story. We we don't hear enough about these kind of programs and the kind of work that people like you are doing. The way I met you is very a very unusual story. 
It was on a game show years ago, and it was one of the greatest <laughs> things I've ever seen. It was on ABC. The show called Don't Forget Your Toothbrush was a famous game show that came over from England. Dave was the host. We had a full orchestra and a band, and he would stand in front of the audience who was ready to go on vacation. They had to pack their bags because mm. if they won something on the game show, they would leave immediately for their trip. <laughs> and so there's these people who've lied to their bosses and told them they're somewhere else. And so they're all in the audience. And the band strikes up and Dave says, I'm looking for a very special lady. And all of a sudden he lifts off the ground. They have him in a harness and they fly him over the audience. <laughs> and the song Lady plays. And so that's like one sketch. That's like one bit in, a, in an entire show. Still one of the greatest shows I've ever seen. This in and of itself is an example of how if you hang in there and you, and you try to, to rise above everything that's going on. I mean, our relationship started with me, <laughs> with, with me seeing your one-person show. I didn't know what a one-man show was, a one-person show was. I didn't know what that was. And David Cross and Louis C.K. and John Groff and these group of wonderful comics that we both know and who knew you we're all excited. So we're going to go see Ed's one man show at the Charles Playhouse in Boston. And you basically talked about your family. And I was thinking to myself, I didn't know this was comedy. And it was so, <laughs> it, it was so great. And it was kind of just a, a day or so before alternative comedy really broke loose. And you were doing it in this one person show. And it talked about Randolph, Massachusetts, and it talked about stuff I could identify with and interesting yeah. dynamics with family. And here we are now, 100 yeah. years later, and it, 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 you're still doing it. It's like the, the show is still going on. It's amazing. And then we got to do that wacky ABC show. It's, it, life is good. <laughs> Thank yeah. goodness we're talking about that. I'm just glad I have it on recording because uh, now I'll remember that, you know, there are good things. And that was a, a wonderful time. And thank you for, for saying that. My family had come to a show and John Benjamin, who is now uh, Bob on Bob's Burgers, came up to my family. And they thought that he, people who hadn't seen me in a while, thought that he was me. <laughs> he did nothing to dissuade them. He let them think that he was me. And he started talking about all kinds of things. And then Jonathan Katz was there. And John comes up to my family, my parents, and he says, you know, Ed's a very funny comedian, but why does he have to work so blue? <laughs> At any rate, listen, I cannot thank you enough. Oh, wow. I really appreciate it. And we'll talk again. You know, I'd like you to come back because I know there's a lot more to say. And I just want to thank you for being here. David Earl Waterman, my goodness. Yes, thank you so much. That was amazing. Thank you. Good work, folks. Glad to be part of it. I want to thank everybody for, for putting today's show together. I want to thank uh, Dan Tebow at Fast Twitch Media. So anything you need to do with a podcast, anything you need to do to publish, to create, to edit, all kinds of, of technical work that it takes to put out a good quality podcast, you do it at fasttwitchmedia.space. And to find us, please... Find us, subscribe, share. There's a lot of good stuff that's coming. We're constantly, we're improving the show. We're adding new segments. We're having great guests, as you hear, every week. So find us at make light, the word make and light together, makelightmedia.com. You can find the podcast there or wherever you subscribe. But please do find the social pages, whether it's Facebook or Instagram 
or Twitter, we're everywhere. And also for Jennifer Kalari, Jennifer teaches all kinds of skills, resilience skills, classes, videos, other podcasts with all kinds of issues that have to do with parenting, self-parenting, services to, to support you in every way for today's world. Find all of that at connectedparenting.com. That's connectedparenting.com. So Jennifer, thank you. You're welcome. It's a great show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I want to tell everybody to keep coming back. It works if you work it. I'm Ed Krasnick. Take care of yourselves and have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.